Moses. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Queen of England. Yeah, yeah. He built JFK, but Trump also had an impact too. The dad oh, yeah, and yeah. Oh, yeah. The dad and Donald. But, they, so, but like, I would say that Trump, Trump really had more impact on housing. But like Robert Moses, transportation, transportation everything, public yeah, works. Yeah. Well, actually, I found out a, a fun fact: when the government, when Tesla died, and the government wanted to validate everything the Tesla built, including the time machine, the person who actually went to go see the time machine was. Trump's great uncle. Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of history. Before real estate, we're all politicians. They're all Wow. And Trump's another Trump uncle was part of the original committee that approved the development of the Pentagon. Yeah. Wow. Which in 1941 commenced construction on 9-11. The first time when New York City got cleaned up, it was because of Trump. Yes. Coming out of the 60s. Yeah. Trump and Zeckendorf. Mm -hmm. I just bought the Zeckendorf book. Yeah. Very Trump wild. had like, uh, it was like, like what you see now after 2020, after the pandemic, you see a lot of bombs were laying around. They had way more than that. Oh, like yeah. prostitution, bomb, yeah. crime, well, everything in Times Square. Yeah. Trump had an impact on that and cleaning it up. Mm. So, but they burned Trump. And that's why Trump kept coming after New York City. The two places he came after. AC and New York. There you go. Cause they burnt him. Mm. Yeah. So he's holding a personal grudge, and but you know at the end of the day up? he's still. Mm -hmm. Are they trying to lock him up? The three families that built well, New York post. Yeah. Three families that built New York post the seventies. Mm -hmm. The Tish family, T I C H, yeah. they gave their money like fifty billion dollars. Mm -hmm. Lowe's Corporation, mm -hmm. the Trump family slash Lafrak because that was the Queen's yeah, connection. Frack, yeah. Trump's dad and, and, and Lafrak, and then uh, uh, Zuckerberg's. Because they were the first ones to do high-end kind of development in the city post the Bronx. I'm surprised Silverstein not in there either. Not yet. Well, he was only office. Mm. He couldn't do office until uh, presidential came back. Ah, shoot. Welcome back to It Starts Now, the happy hour finance and business. I started talking as if. Yeah. Um, today, we in the studio, we got a special guest, Keenan, as always. And Keenan brought uh, two people in here that's going to be legendary in the game, especially in the podcast game. And we want to, they have their own contribution to the world. It's in terms of impacting in their own professional lives. But the, when it comes to podcasts, I think they're going to be the next thing. And I'm going to allow Keenan to make the introduction because yeah. he said something earlier that was moving. Yeah. So please, Keenan, take the floor. Uh, thank you to all the It Starts Now listeners and the It Starts Now family. I'm incredibly excited to be back with Stanley. And even more so, incredibly excited to be back with Stanley hosting a conversation with guests, the founders of Do Billy Pod. We have John Jackson and Carl, a.k.a. C. Joe Black on Instagram, in the booth today. Very excited. Yeah. What's going on, man? Very excited. I'm just happy to be here, bro. I'm just happy to Yo. be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, I'm just ready to get down to business, see what y'all want to talk about. Time to cook. And, you know, get cooking. Yeah, let's, yeah. Uh, let's do it. Um, before then, I want to talk about, you were on the TED Talk, and you were talking about Susu's. 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you how you broke it down, how that's the Susu is the old generation or old style to this new modern a crowdfunding type of thing. Yeah, essentially. What do you think? You want to break that down a little well, bit? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so when I was growing up, you know, I'm Haitian, you're Haitian, yeah. right? So, like, you know, you see your family members all participate in susus. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, susus are, um, so you, you are in this pot where you make a, contrib- a weekly contribution to this pot. And what they do is each person in the pot gets the entire pot's value mm-hmm. in one sitting, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and they call that, people have different names for it, but like my parents called it a hand. Mm-hmm. So you get your hand in the susu that particular week. Um, but like, you know, as I was growing up and learning more about finance, um, I really started to realize that there's just like a ton of similarities between them, right? Like we are constantly, we every two weeks, you make your contribution to a 401k. That 401k has a portfolio <clears throat> manager that's using that money to then purchase securities. Then when you turn 59 and a half, you can get the whole pot, right? Um, we have pooled income trusts um, in New York State that people use to basically put their money in so that they can lower their um, income so that they can qualify for like Medicare, Medicaid when they're much older. Yep. Very similar to a SUSU, right? Yep. Um, and what it did for me, it really just crystallized that like a lot of this activity is um, stuff we're doing regularly, yep. right? But we don't identify that as finance because what we've done is we've divorced activity in the financial industry from like main street activities, right? But they're in many ways the same. And crowdfunding was like a really good way to kind of connect those. Um, and for those who are not familiar with crowdfunding, crowdfunding is actually a relatively new thing. Uh, that came in 2012 through the Jobs Act. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it just allowed people who weren't traditionally accredited investors to make investments in startups. And instead of having to go through what the traditional term sheet process was for VCs or angel investors, you could just log on to a site like WeFunder, Republic, and you can invest in a company. And they have to disclose all of the information that's required for you to make that investment in there, right? Um, so you get the transparency that you need and you also, you know what I'm saying, get access to these investments that people traditionally don't get access to. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for me, I was like, wow, like a lot of folks don't necessarily know about this crowdfunding way, but it's very similar to what we're doing in our communities where we're building susus, right? So what I really wanted to do was kind of not only introduce folks to crowdfunding, but like actually figure out ways to innovate on the idea of crowdfunding. Um, because right now we're running into like a lot of folks who are doing crowdfunding simply for businesses, which mm-hmm. is fine. Um, I love that. I have absolutely no problem with that. But like you can actually crowdfund for the available real estate in your neighborhood. Right. And people aren't doing that. Um, and part of that is because a lot of folks don't like talking to lawyers. So since they don't like talking to lawyers, they don't like getting into the process of figuring out what it's like to do a crowdfunding project, you know, figuring out the docs and all of that other stuff. But 
you know, let's say, you know, you're in an area like the Bronx in the 80s. You know what I'm saying? Like, folks could have bought a lot of those blocks. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If, mm-hmm. if crowdfunding was available, right? And there are areas like that. Even that Williamsburg. A, right, exactly. There are areas, even today, that are dealing with a lot of blight. And people in those areas can actually work together to do that. But they need to kind of not only understand that these laws exist and that they, they it can be done now, but also the context. Because I think telling somebody that this thing exists now is just one part of the game, mm-hmm. but creating the context for them is the part of the game that like really helps scale that activity. That's super dope. So, um, you know, what this crazy thing is, why is it that like, I, and I, we want to dive into a lot of other things. We're going to get into it, right? Mm-hmm. But why is it that a lot of people are scared of attorneys? <laughs> Did you want to give your background first so you can validate okay, that Okay, answer? okay, okay. Yeah, right. sure. So, yeah. Um, so uh, after college, started my first job at J.P. Morgan, uh, fixing some fixed income research. Um, then after, like, I was in, like, this, like, rotational kind of program. So then I went and started working in the legal department. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to rotate no more. This is where I need to be at. And um, part of the reason why I did that was because um, throughout my entire journey of learning financial markets, um, I had a big aha moment my first year at J.P. Morgan. Like working on Wall Street is, it's, it's an MBA program. Like that's literally what it is. Like you learn, especially in a bank, you learn everything. You learn where the money goes, where the money comes back to, how they repackage it and put it in securities. You learn. But the most important thing you learn is that everything that you see in financial markets is a contract. It is a contract that is legally enforceable in the court of law. Oh, yeah, my calls, you need to trade calls and puts. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. if you do that, you trade options. Those are contracts. Right. There's a call option contract. There's a put option contract. If the if the platform or the broker or so on and so forth don't enforce that, you'll be like, I'm suing you for not enforcing my call option contract, right? Mm-hmm. And that was my aha moment. I was like, yo, like all of this is backed up by contracts. I got to go to law school. So um, I ended up doing four years at JP. I left, went to law school, graduated, uh, passed the bar. And um, essentially what I do now is corporate law. Um, and it's more centered toward the financial aspect of corporate law. So I, I help companies raise money. Um, I help companies buy or sell companies. And I help companies adhere to securities laws and regulations or financial law and regulations. So that's the type of lawyer that I am. Um, but, you know, that history really allows me to operate with a context that many people don't necessarily have when they first start practicing mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, you really understand the entire map and the territory, right? So when I'm looking at a doc, I'm like, oh, like, how does interest rates actually affect this contract? Or maybe we should actually put this provision in here versus that provision. Or we should probably fight for, mm-hmm. you know, to, to make sure that certain things aren't collateral versus other things, right? Because it'll affect your business mm-hmm. in a certain way. Um, but like most of the time, when I'm when I'm looking out for my clients, I'm shocked. I'm a shock. 
I'm an animal. Like I'm I'm in deals. You, you gotta be. Yeah, I'm in deals and I'm like, I'm coming for your throat. There's leverage. Because I gotta look out for the best interest of my client. You know what I mean? That's crazy. I was watching suits. Yeah. And I saw that too. Like I was like, man, you gotta be vicious. You gotta be vicious. Absolutely. And so, I understand, mm, so, so like, I understand why people might be afraid to talk to attorneys because you're seeing things like that. But like, when you're talking to an attorney and like, you're bringing them in to be your attorney, like, you shouldn't be scared of them. Right. Like, you should be like, yo, everybody should be scared of my mans. Yeah. Because I'm coming for you yeah. if I got to call him, right? Yeah, you're the dog. Exactly, yeah. right? And like, owners are not afraid of their dogs. Other people are afraid of their dogs. It's a bar right there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, so, so that's why, like, I'm like, as an investor, because I also invest. Um, if I'm dealing with like an early stage company, first thing I'm looking for is, do you have an attorney? Um, and the reason why is because if you it's, it's not a red flag, but it's a flag for me. And that's because an attorney's job is to ensure that a number of things are already handled, right? Like if you say, yeah, I got an attorney, I know you got your docs together because your attorney's job is to literally have an entire file station yeah. of all of their clients' documents, right? So you should be able to go in, this, that, third, fourth, send that over to the investor so they can look that over. You could have, you could get your money wired to you in 48. Mm -hmm. Like Tiger, Tiger Global, mm -hmm. they, they're doing 48 hour term sheets. I'll get you the money in your account, 50 million. Here you go. In 48 hours, just because everybody got their stuff organized and Tiger doesn't have that many channels to go through in terms of approving an investment. But like having your papers together is, I would say, like 40, 40% of the battle. The rest is actually selling me on your business. Mm -hmm. Bloomberg just mm -hmm. had an article come out on the 17th yesterday about Parker Conrad from Rippling. The article simply stated, Parker, Thursday morning, last Thursday, was hearing the whispers from a buddy who called him at 10 a.m. Are you moving your money out of SVB? Rippling moves payroll money for all their clients. He had $300 million in SVB. He didn't know it was serious until Thursday afternoon. The entire Bloomberg article is about how he was over the weekend, because he couldn't get the money out by Friday, mm -hmm. was able to front 130 mil that he had in reserves to plug some of the stop gap. Called his lead investor, Green Acres Capital, I believe, quote, you know, if I'm wrong, let me know. Uh, I believe it's Green Acres. Handshake agreement, terms aligned, right? So counsel on the phone, mm -hmm. so verbal and virtual handshake to be papered, but all terms aligned. Wire sent Monday morning for 500 mil. $500 million investment, keeping his company at the same valuation. So a flat, not a down round, just a flat round. The core competencies of that article were, he literally had an established rapport with investor and said attorneys. Attorneys never moved that fast, especially for that amount of money, mm -hmm. where he could go and have a 12 hour dungeon war room session, come out with terms aligned, get hit with 500 mil Monday morning. Right, so like the power of your relationship with your attorney. I was just about to say that. The that relation, like, yeah. That's what it is. It's, like, that's what it is. Not just as investor. Everything, just as investor. Because the investor would never do anything without attorney sign off. So like the, the power of your counsel is everything. Mm -hmm. Hence why Carl is here today. 
Yeah, we're gonna dive in, Carl. Yeah, that's especially on the what's going on with Silicon Valley. Bank. Yeah, Bank. yeah, that's um, kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's dive into that, man. Because <laughs> I know what's, this this is what we really want to know. What happened? Yeah. Right. So what what allegedly happened? Well, the, the, the documentation. The documentation, <laughs> the documentation yeah. but yeah. Carl, Carl okay, all right, all right. Everything all right. is legal docs, okay. right? So, um, so when you're a publicly traded company, you have to disclose certain information to the SEC. The SEC is the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, they regulate publicly traded companies. They also regulate um, private companies in, in terms of... Um, based on how much money they raise and what disclosures have to be made. But right. they but they're very well known for regulating publicly traded companies. Right. SVB was a publicly traded company. Yeah. So um SVB disclosed that they had a certain number of unrealized losses. Um SVB disclosed that they had bought a certain amount of 10-year treasury bonds um, and essentially based on their balance sheet and their capital position some folks who were banking with them felt that they would not have the proper liquidity to continue serving depositors correct and that's because the interest rate went up um so that's what affected that's what created what you call those unrealized losses mm -hmm. right so we, we kind of have to have a conversation about unrealized and realized losses really quickly in the context of this situation. So if you buy a treasury bond, typically most folks, when they buy treasury bonds, they hold them to maturity, right? Um, and banks do this all the time. This is part of a strategy. It's part of how banks make money. They, um, they lend money for certain periods of time, and then they buy assets to essentially offset that loss. yeah mm -hmm. either cover the loss or make money with the extra money that they do have so um so essentially svv was doing normal activity but the issue is the securities that they chose at the time that they chose them so they bought 10 year or they allegedly bought 10 year treasuries at 1.6 percent interest rate Right. Um, so you're going to hold a certain amount of money for 10 years at that rate. And you're going to get 1.6% on mm -hmm. it. Right. Which is a very, very low return because the longer you keep money, um, the longer you have a bond for, the more sensitive it is to interest rate risk. If the interest rate goes up, then the face value of that bond goes down, mm -hmm. right? Bonds have a face value and they have a yield to maturity. That's that percentage that we talk about all the time, right? Um, face value, typically what they call... Um, Is that also par value? Par value, yeah. Um, and um, some, some are $100, uh, some are $1,000, uh, and typically they move in opposites. Right, so if you have a one point six percent treasury bond at a hundred dollars, if interest rates go up, right, that face value is going to go down, and the reason why is because I can get a newer treasury bond for the same period of time and get a higher yeah, interest rate. 
interest rate. So why would I buy yours? Mm-hmm. And that's because so now that face value mm-hmm. goes down, mm-hmm. right? So that's the problem they ran into when they ran into the liquidity issue. When people depositors started taking money out, right? Um, or when they actually realized that this was going to become an issue. I think when they announced it last Wednesday, when they announced that this right. was going to become an issue, a lot of people started taking out. Well, what they announced was a share sale. So they already yeah. went to Goldman Sachs yeah. to, to do a private deal to shore up the position. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen in the privates. So they had to just sell 1.75 billion worth of bonds. Right. right. That's and that loss that, is was that loss well, was the reason. Well, the, not so, so there's the thing, right? So on the balance sheet, when they announced they had an unrealized loss, there you go. it's an unrealized loss. It's not realized yet. If I held it to maturity, I would get my 1.6. Sure, maybe inflation would cook me, so I'll probably take a little L here or there. But like, if I was able to hold it to maturity, it would not be a loss because I'm holding it to maturity. But it's an unrealized loss at the moment because of the value of this bond Today, which is right, dropped significantly. Which has dropped significantly, but it's an unrealized loss, right? You don't realize a loss until you actually sell the security, mm-hmm. right? Which is what they had to do mm-hmm. to get the liquidity they needed to it's then covered. cover right. the depositors. You said differently, right? too many bonds lost value. Mm-hmm. So the money they spent to buy those bonds deteriorated drastically, and they couldn't even backstop certain deposit amounts. So they had to sell something. Mm-hmm. The problem is there was a lot of poor communication around that sale. So it looked like when they sold publicly $1.75 billion, that they were short. They were shot. Mm-hmm. And, and that opened Thursday, a floodgate for a lot of people to want to withdraw. Last Thursday. And that really tanked yeah. them. So there's another angle to this, of course, that we need to talk about too. And that's every bank has a strategy in how they get depositors. Mm-hmm. Um, SVB's strategy was we are going to focus on Silicon Valley founders, then mm-hmm. we're going to focus on New York founders, right? Um, so we're going to enter these markets mm-hmm. and focus on VCs and startups. Yes. yes. They've been shut down. They had a one in uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but like that was, they're like our core client base are VCs and startups, mm-hmm. right? Um, the issue with that is if you're, and, and, you know, there there have been, you know, rumors and statements made, but essentially, allegedly, they were having VCs who want to get their portfolio companies funded, but have like lines of credit or access to capital. In order for that to happen for that one portfolio company, that VC would also need to have their other portfolio companies bank with SVB. Mm-hmm. Also, all the money that they raise needs to be deposited into SVB, which is why you saw their deposit numbers increase so rapidly during that period of time where companies were raising bread left and right. 2020, 2021. Mm-hmm. So you're hearing, yo, uh, X company raised 50 million Series A. X company raised... 200 million series B, all of that money is going like what bank account is that money going in? It's going in SVB. So when you get the call from a VC who has 30 portfolio companies, all banking with the same all banking with the same companies, and he says, Why are your money out of SVB? Because they might not have the liquidity to 
ensure to that you yeah. to sustain it. All right, wire it all out. All of them are doing that, and we're talking 50, 60, 70 100 million, clips. Yeah. 100 clips, 10 million. Like, this is not no, oh, yeah, I'm going to chase, get my little 1500. Yeah, no, no. We're talking about 10, $20 million at a clip right. getting wired out. Billions in two days. Wow. Billions. It's the fastest I've ever seen. Yeah. But when right. I saw the list of companies that was underneath that, yeah, like, like, Airbnb, like 59 Roku of these had, companies. Roku had half a billion. Half a billion, yeah. Chilling. You had Hulu in there. You had yeah. Airbnb. Everybody. There was everybody. everybody. Those are big accounts. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, you're, you're seeing that amount of money get wired out. Of course, your capital position is going to deteriorate. And as a result, like what's gonna happen? The FDIC is gonna pull up on you right. and shut it all down. Right. Set up a bridge bank. You know what I'm saying? When they set up that bridge bank, you know they're gonna try to get people their money quickly. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Everything that's insured. But the issue is the average, the the normal mm-hmm. SVB depositor, like two fifty is nothing to them. Not for what they have in there. No, mm-hmm. it's nothing to them. Yeah, we're talking about. I got it's a ten. Off a buck. Yeah, I got. Yeah. I'm using two fifty every two weeks yeah. just to pay That's payroll. for payroll. payroll. Yeah, it's yeah. payroll. You owe oh, you insured my payroll once this yeah. month, yeah. and I gotta pay people twice. So where's the rest gonna come from, right? Which is you know where the receiver certificates came in. Um, but then you know they they had a meeting. You know what I'm oh, saying? In an auction. In an auction, there was a meeting, an auction. There was a bunch of things going on at the same time. But essentially, the Fed, Treasury, and the FDRC said, we're going to we're gonna back everything. Don't even worry about it. Shout out to Janet Yellen. Yeah, you're going to mm. get your bread. Don't worry about it. Um, which Yeah, but they were thinking about selling assets. Like if they couldn't get a bank to cover, yeah, yeah. they were thinking about Those selling are the, their assets. Everything's on the table. Think about it. You're in that room. You're in that room. Everything's on the table. But that, that, that's where the conversation does have a divide because as Carl hit on it briefly, you had a 2020, 2021 free easy money. So it wasn't just the housing market spiking because the interest rates were 1.25 or 2.25. Mm-hmm. VCs borrow gains from public markets. So they invest. And so when things are cheap, they borrow actual debt. And then when things are going well, the markets, they take profit. That's a lot of what funds them their companies mm-hmm. or their LPs had that same model of thesis, right? When money's cheap, it's easy and everyone has it. So that two years of rampant, aggressive, very, you know, the math didn't math for those two years. And so 2022 was a big dip. You have to remember SVB really, the pain started in 2022. A lot of red flags were last year. This is just the outcome. You can talk about that, and you can also talk about the contagion post SVB. What's happening in financial markets? Yeah, but those are very like those two are core competencies. I think the market has to understand how does SVB get here, and then what's happening next. Yeah, and and the thing is, when you you know you bring up the fact that it's happening across other financial institutions. Remember, I said earlier, banks do this, yeah. right? Like buying long term mm-hmm. treasuries. You know what I'm saying? Is a is banking. It's mm-hmm. just banking. That's just part of the, part of the business, yeah. which is why you're starting to see this reverberate. And like, for example, um, me and John, uh, because we're nerds, we're spending <laughs> um, last Saturday looking at um, Earth's 
First signatures? Yeah. No, it's the no. Signature Bank. Sign- the first, no, Republic. Not, not, yeah. the first Republic. First Republic. We're, we're looking at First Republic's yeah. books. Right, right. We're looking at First Republic's books. They were big, big whisperers. Um, and what we found was we were like, oh snap! Like they're taking like, two, they're taking like two, three billion dollar losses on municipal bonds. That was their thing. Mm-hmm. They got like two, three billion dollars mm-hmm. in unrealized losses on municipal bonds. And so their their issue isn't with treasuries. They're like, oh no, we gonna because every bank does that thing that move different, right? Mm-hmm. Like that investment move is different for every institution, um, and. I worked at an international financial institution called SEB. And um, one of the things that I got to do was to um, like trade CDs. So like you see banks, banks will hit you up on Bloomberg. Yo, I need a $50 million CD mm-hmm. in six months. What's the CD called? Um, a certificate of deposit. Mm-hmm. Most people have it at their traditional financial local institution, bank, local yeah. bank. Um, but like banks do this with each other. Right. Um, another thing I was able to do is um, somebody hit you up. Yo, I need hundred million dollars worth of treasuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just on my books. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people don't know that banks borrow from other banks. Oh That's yeah. All yeah. Oh yeah. Which there's is whole... what First Republic has done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 like, there's a whole market called the overnight repo market, where like banks will just borrow money just to have money on their books for the day, and then give it back the next day. This is oh yeah, I gotta show that my capital position is XYZ today for regulatory reasons. So let me get a hundred million dollars worth of treasuries because you either have to have cash or cash equivalents, and cash equivalents are treasuries, right? So it's like, let me just get a hundred million dollars worth of treasuries. Mm-hmm. They they gonna check today, they gonna see I got it, and I'm gonna give it back to you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Cool. Standard business. Standard business. Standard. You know what I'm saying? The issue we're running into right now is, you know, when, like, you, every bank has a risk department. And in these risk departments, somebody got to be there to be like, yo, you buying 10-year treasuries at 1.6? Are you a bozo? Mm-hmm. You're a bozo. I, I need you to undo that trade. I need you, I don't care what kind of loss we got to take, but we cannot have, the interest rate risk on that is too high. Chairman Powell on TV talking about he gonna raise rates to the sky. He don't care if no one could buy a house for the next right. five years, right. and you holding on to one point sixes. Yeah, right. right. But the you know as we're learning about this SVB fallout, they had no risk department apparently. Well, <laughs> they had a very poor for, for like eight months. Short. Yeah. And it risk department for like eight months. And their trades were never unwound. Mm-hmm. Right. So they were supposed to unwind them. But they never did. Were they trying to run a lean operation? <sighs> I'll let Carl speak. I don't know. I don't know. Paperwork hasn't come out yet. I don't know. But like these risk departments are supposed to, like that's yeah. their to job. To mitigate, yeah. Yeah, their job is to literally, and and you know, you see it sometimes in like TV shows. So if you watch, um, there's a show called Industry. Yep. Um, it's about these young kids um, who are working at a financial institution over in London. The industry. Um, so it's about the financial industry and like how traders do business, right? And there's an episode, um, the main character, her name is Harper. She's making a trade and like the trade is very risky. So she gets a call from the risk department Mm -hmm. and they're like, you can't do that trade. Mm -hmm. You better get out of that position right now. Mm -hmm. And she's like, give me like 
give me like an hour. I bet you it's, it's gonna work. It's gonna work. So like they get alerts. As soon as you hit execute. As soon as you hit execute, they're like, what are you doing? We don't do that. Mm-hmm. So that 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 infrastructure should have been in place in that institution and SVB and and maybe it was. I'm not saying it wasn't. We haven't right? seen it yet. But like in a position like that, like this should have been all over that. Yeah. You know? And that also that also leans into how they got there. As a founder who also worked on Wall Street, my co-founders and I, we strategically were watching all of 2020, 2021, right? The pandemic hit, we had to cut half our staff. We saw everyone else do the same thing. Everyone ran to the, you know, not just risk mitigant, but cost-cutting measures, right? Everyone was in survival mode. By the time we got to the summer of 2020, when the Fed stepped in, mm-hmm. saw the markets crashing and the just, you know, societal norms go to zero when it comes to the ease of moving money and access to capital, et cetera, they started dropping interest rates drastically. I think at the lowest point in 2020, for a minute or maybe a quarter, it was like 1.75. Right, I think rates actually went sub two percent, mm-hmm. and that hasn't happened since '08. Yeah. So in 2020, the second half of the year, my co-founders and I watched everything shift. It wasn't just housing and the access to housing and the ramp up of just people buying multifamily and single family. It was startup founders raising crazy money. In the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, we saw numbers that felt like everyone was in Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. Like it looked like every single startup was raising five million at a twenty-five to thirty million dollar post pre-product pre-revenue, or with product pre-revenue. There was a company that raised like a million dollars off an app that just said "Yo." Yeah. Yes. Like that's real. The Yo app was real. The Yo yeah. app is real. It just real. said "Yo," right? And like, they gave like a million. It's stupid money. So Clubhouse raised a billion dollars. I mean, like, yeah, but, but, but we have to talk about that. Yeah. We have to talk about that because we, that that was the first time the market really was like, "Oh, it's that dumb." Because Clubhouse, because Clubhouse raised, Clubhouse got a billion dollar billion dollar valuation in the pandemic before it was even public for the, available for the public. Yeah, but the pandemic drove that. No, we don't believe that. We believe it was rates. It wasn't the pandemic. I think the access I to think, the celebrities I, that jumped on it early was a pandemic because they were bored. But the mass adoption needed to validate a billion dollars valuation was not there. There was no mass adoption. I, I, I agree with that. Right? But what I'm saying, I think what drove it was the celebrities being born. Fair. During 2020, people weren't, remember, that um, the product. iOS, iOS was the only one that had it at the time. Correct. Yeah, it was right? uh, iPhone only. Oh, iPhone only. IPhone and everybody only. was craving to get on it because it was buzzing. Right. Exactly. Everybody's on Clubhouse. Oh, you heard Jay-Z was on Clubhouse. Yeah. You heard this person was on Clubhouse. Yeah. So I think, I'm not saying it's totally was the one that was the driving force. Sure, sure, sure. But I think that was probably the nail or, or you know, one of, one of the things that hammered it in to say, hey, listen, let's, yeah. and for, let's evaluate and, this at this number. And for a year and a half, it took off. Like, let's, let's not even... Let's, no, let's not it, it, like did, it, pop. it did. But it, no People way. was ready to buy stocks into it. Of like course, crazy. Yeah. Of course. But look at, yeah. look at it now. Look at it now, right? And there's a thing, right? Like, Instagram sold for a billion dollars. Okay? Discount. How many years did it take to get Instagram to reach that dollar figure to be sold at a billion dollars, right? Instagram founded what, 2010? 2010, yeah. 2010. Yeah. Um, it sold what, 2014 or 15? One of those. Um, we should fact check it, but it at least took a few years. To put a build up. For that, for that, for that billion dollar sale. Right. That billion dollar valuation, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
Clubhouse wasn't even around a year. No, it wasn't around six months. No, it wasn't around six no. months. And, and and usually, in order for you to have that number, you have to actually hit a particular user growth number. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. So like daily actives, monthly actives. Daily active, monthly active, mm-hmm. or just users in general. So like ChatGPT, for example. Mm-hmm. ChatGPT is the fastest Fast. growing consumer app ever. in ever. ever. Mm-hmm. So like when you talk about that valuation, you're like, because we have that many users. Mm-hmm. Every day. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't, Clubhouse wasn't even on public Android yet, bro. No. 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 You see what I'm saying? So that, so, but that's part of the, I think that's part of the reason why I was driving it. Because fair. Scarcity. People, yes, scarcity. But the problem is, I bring that up only because that was the inception of the dumb money. Right? So in 2020, we saw mm-hmm. a crack. Mm-hmm. But all of 2021, all of 2021, you saw every single tech crunch, fast company, Forbes article about the most random, esoteric, barely started or ideated only idea getting funded and getting funded at high valuations. But the real issue was the pinnacle. So at the end of 2021, Q4, you saw late stage growth equity companies having ridiculous valuations like Stripe being mm-hmm. raising at almost a hundred billion dollar mm-hmm. private valuation. Mm-hmm. Stripe now, one year later, in Q1 of 2023, had to raise an I. First startup company to ever have an I round, right? So you just go Series A, Series B, mm-hmm. Series C. They just an I. Mm-hmm. Down round. Yeah. Because they had to, they, and then they raised the $50 billion that they just raised in their I solely to pay the taxes on the RSUs. And that's one of the topic. But when it comes to, like, <laughs> when it comes to equity options yeah. as, as a employee of a company. Right. We, like, think of the... Think of the mentality you have to have working for a company that had to just raise a $50 billion clip to pay your taxes on your shares. Now, mm-hmm. granted, a lot of people's shares are the best thing, and a lot of people in Stripe, the bag is coming. But just look at what that did a year later. So in 2020, 2021, you have crazy money. All that crazy money to Carl's point was put in SVB, right, for, for a majority of them. And then because the late-stage companies were raising at like almost $100 billion valuations, and Stripe did not have a bunch of active users, right? Stripe was already kind of at its peak. Mm-hmm. The early stage companies are doing the same thing. What happens in a year when everyone, late and early stage, are raising at crazy valuations? Mm-hmm. What has to happen? Naturally. You got to drop. It has to drop. Yeah. And so all of 2022 was a massive drop. You had companies that were raising money that had term sheets pulled from them. Signed documents. Again, the Carl's point. Lawyers put it in paper. Lawyers signed. You signed. But they didn't wire. They said, sorry, I can't do it. Because rates all of a sudden started spiking. So in 2021, when all the dumb money was happening and everyone was rushing to buy a house and everybody was running around with no equity and those ninja loans were almost coming back into, into style, right? No income, no job application. All of a sudden, the Fed said, hey, we have to really drastically raise rates. So no more 25% or 25-bit increases. The rates went from like 195 in 2020 to where are they at now? Five and a quarter, six. No, nah, it's a little higher than that. They're like almost five. like six, right? Nah, they're like five. Five and well, change. Well, the, the Fed funds were Fed funds were like five it's and like, eight. It's like almost five. They're, oh wow! They're I think tre- everything else. Treasuries are yeah. Every, the treasuries are like five point one five, but I think they dropped the last few weeks. So remember, well, I can't say remember, but for everyone watching, these rates are only increased at a half percent, a quarter to a half percent at a time, and the incremental increases happen quarterly. Uh, no, they, they have time. a certain they have a schedule. They have a schedule. Have yeah. a schedule. So you can't just jump from like one percent to five percent. 
But even on their set schedule, that's how fast they were increasing the rate. They did two meetings in a row. They raised it almost an entire point. Point. Mm-hmm. That's never seven, before done. Mm-hmm. Seventy-five mm-hmm. basis points meeting back to back. Their yeah, actions yeah. in twenty twenty-two were different than oh eight, bro. It yeah. was it was like May, seventy-five basis points, and then middle of the summer, another seventy-five whole rack. Yeah. <laughs> like, the reason why he's making that sound is Stanley's. That's why the bank had the issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I agree. But my thing is, were they validated to do that? Um, inflation was high, man. I see, mean, see, yeah, yeah. You had to do it. So, so it's interesting because they did it too late. Yeah, I agree. They did it too I late. Agree. If they did it at point two five and they started in March twenty twenty one. Point two five miles twenty. That was the meeting. Like me and John the watched the meeting, and I and I and Paul said, "No, no increase. We're for, gonna for, keep for context." Please explain to everybody what does it mean to watch the meeting. What do you um, mean? so so the Federal Reserve has a meeting with the Board of Governors. Um, they they call it the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee. Mm-hmm. That's the meeting where they decide interest rates. the interest rates, and the chairman comes out. And tells you what their decision is. And in March 2021, he came out and was like, raise it the same. And I said, big mistake. That that moment, I said, big mistake. We got to start figuring out how we're going to navigate inflation. Because that was the meeting where you should have hit the button on 25. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and obviously, what was everybody... The right? what did you do? Um, he kept it the same, unchanged. The same. There you go. Unchanged. So for context, Zero. a whole year went by, March 2020 to March 2021, where dumb cheap money made everything spike in terms of interest, mm-hmm. interest like mm-hmm. buying houses, raising money. Mm-hmm. And then so when the Fed says we're going to keep it the same, effectively Carl's saying he believes, correct me if wrong, that was really the start of the recession. There was, there was a lot of other things that came into play because... The Fed, the Fed kept rates really low for a long time. We had rates low from 2005, six, So that's why you were able to see markets like really increase over the 2010s, mm-hmm. right? But things really got crazy when fiscal, stim- fiscal stimulus came during the pandemic. Because during the run-up in the 2010s, we had asset bubbles, right? Like you saw these asset bubbles happen, but you didn't have inflation. We had we had really we could never like during the 2010s hitting 2% inflation was crazy. We would we was like, "Yo, is inflation over?" Mm-hmm. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. And then 2020 came, and then there was like there was like um first things first, PPP, second thing, um let's do some stimmies, third thing Federal unemployment, mm-hmm. fourth thing, state unemployment. And in one calendar year. That was mm-hmm. 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All so you're saying once. they injected too much. So like, but I'm not saying I, they injected too yeah. much. What I'm saying is literally after a year, almost a year of that activity. In March 21, they did nothing. After a year of that activity, we started to see inflation finally pass 2%. Yeah. So that entire time where we didn't have much fiscal stimulus, mm-hmm. we didn't really have inflation, 
but we turned on all these spigots mm-hmm. for the fiscal stimulus, mm-hmm. and that's when you saw that inflation kick off. Don't right? you think that that timeline where they had that gap is more of a political issue associated with that? It is. Okay. Yeah, and and so that's I probably agree. why they didn't. Uh, well, the Fed has limitations, mm-hmm. right? Like the Fed can only do; they can only maintain price stability and maintain unemployment. That's their job. Right, um, they can't tell the government how they should be doling money out to people, right? Mm-hmm. But what I do think is interesting is there were so many ways that we really could have had some like serious fiscal stimulus that didn't end up in stimmies in people's bank accounts. Yeah, like we could have people that didn't really need it. Yeah, well. Sure, I'm not yeah. going to decide who needs who money needs or not. Right. That's true. That's right. True. Mm-hmm. But what I am going to say is, there was a lot. There's a lot of infrastructure projects that should have been done that weren't done. Correct. You see what I'm saying? Um, like, I, I was doing some research because I was looking to take a minority position in a company, um, and I was doing research on smart meters. And like the smart meter industry really could like go crazy in the U.S., but we're not thoroughly invested in using smart meters as of yet. And the reason why is because there's no government funding for it. But oh, it's like, it's a smart meter for oh yeah, it's the meters that you got in your crib. Mm-hmm. You know, you go home, you got your little heater meter to tell you how hot mm-hmm. your crib is. Mm-hmm. It tells you how to, you know, efficiently mm-hmm. use mm-hmm. your um, your energy in your home. So mm-hmm. replaces the thermostat. Replacing yeah. the thermostat, basically. I think Tesla has something similar to that, right? Yeah. That home-based one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, we should be putting those in public housing mm-hmm. because a lot of people in public housing have heating issues. I mean, Project Heat is what I mean, we know what it is. Mm-hmm. You say Project Heat, you know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, like, but Project Heat is good. It's good. <laughs> sure. <laughs> nah, they've been kicking in the project. <laughs> when you got to sure. keep your window open when it's snowing, that's a problem. Yeah, that's, a problem yeah, right? yeah, that's a problem. But, like, the smart meter would tell you that, right? Mm. Um, but, like, you know, we're not getting that type of investment. And part of the reason why we're not getting that type of investment is because it's a fiscal issue. It's a political issue, right? Like we're not allocating money to the right resources properly. So the Fed was pumping bread. Hey, you states, you could borrow money for nothing. PPP, businesses. You could, everybody could borrow money for nothing, right? But it's like, all right, cool. Let's borrow this money. How are we going to use it now? And like basically... Government dropped the ball on that. But when when COVID happened, it was like, yo, we trying to get really get people to stay home, but they're not gonna stay home so pay them if they can't get money. If so they, we got paying to stay at the crib. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they was like, I bet I'm getting paid to stay at the crib. First of all, first of all, um, I'm not really gonna look for a job like that. So we had the the employment issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. then we started overpaying mm-hmm. people. So you had wage inflation happen. Mm-hmm. So that we could get people to leave the crib because they was getting six hundred dollars straight from the government mm-hmm. unemployment a week. They was getting paid more unemployment than they was getting paid to work. One hundred percent. Right. Yeah. So then you got that problem. Then on top of all of that, they're like, Yo, I got so much extra money I never had before. I'm about Rody Class Azul. Yeah. And, and I'm going to invest a in financial markets. Some new jewelry. Yeah. Right. And I'm going yeah. to invest in financial markets. They got locked up. You right? Know so, so, so all in all, like, a lot of these issues came, like, to, at least from my perspective, to came to a head all at once. 
But um, we really saw those things materialize in 2022. But the like, for me, the flash, like the, the if you're the Fed, because you have to be ahead of that, mm-hmm. 20, March 2021 was the, we need 0.25. We got to actually slow this down now. Because if we, if we slow it down now, you know what I'm saying? Then we can 0.25 in the summer, 0.25 in the fall, then 0.25 in the beginning of 2022. By then, we would have been at at least the Fed being at one percentage point. But the Fed didn't raise until late 2021. Right. Fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Fourth quarter. So then all of a sudden in 2022, last year, when SVB started feeling the pain on their position, rates spiked. Yeah. Like we're talking like 0. 0.50, 0. 0.75. So that's half a percent or three quarters of a percent every time the Fed met in a calendar year. So to Carl's point, when you ramp that high rate that fast, anyone that held long-term treasuries was out of the money. Over. Anybody. And it's crazy because there are, like there was a report, I think, um, Keenan, you the one that sent it to me? Or, or I forgot, I forgot how I got my hands on it, but across the banking industry, it's about $620 billion of unrealized losses. Crazy. In terms of, in terms of whether it's treasuries, Mm -hmm. Whether it's other like long term positions that banks are holding, these got mad bread and unrealized losses. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like, as a result, like, it, it a big part of it is Fed interest rate increases. But like the other thing I want to remind folks is they are unrealized losses. Mm-hmm. They haven't realized them yet. They haven't had to sell SVB those assets first. as we use this first. Right. So. So there's a whole nother conversation about this that we could have because we're seeing like that now this the weakness in these community banks contagion. contagion. This contagion is actually creating an opportunity for larger financial institutions to get all the regionals. Mm-hmm. So now yeah, you know, Republic, I mean, First Republic mm-hmm. in the last week has raised a seventy billion dollar clip and a thirty billion dollar clip just to stay in business. However, Moody's mm-hmm. has just raided their bonds junk as of yesterday. Yeah, I, I remember I received the email recently. Uh, I don't remember which bank it was. Um, have basically, in us. we're good. We raise money. They ha- have comp- confidence in us. We raise money, but also they explain where they got the money from. Mm-hmm. They say, "Hey, we, we're in conversation with such and such bank, and our position is secured." So the new have con- faith mm-hmm. in us. The, the, the new faith is I got my money from JP. Yeah, right. Yeah. Most quasi yeah. Fed bank J- JP and Wells. Right. Yeah. So, so, so just to give you timeline. So Carl's point is incredibly accurate. In all of 2022, to give you a clean synopsis, rates spiked, values went down across the board. So this big venture capital market where everybody was raising dumb, easy money in 20 and 2021, it stopped. It went to zero. It got really hard to raise money last year. Then it got, it went to zero by the time it got the fourth quarter last year. Mm-hmm. What happens when you had all, when you had a year and a half of influx of cash all parked in the same bank? that has the wrong position on rates. One, you can kind of hide your wrong position because for the last year and a half, you had crazy uh, deposits, like 40, 50 billion worth as an increase. Mm-hmm. So even though your position, those bonds are going down, your shoddy risk department probably could say, we have enough <laughs> deposits, yeah. but you can't count deposits as pure assets because people could withdraw them. So all of a sudden you had to try to do a private sale at the beginning of Q1 in 2023. So fast forward to where we are now, pain in 2022 for the whole year, 
Q1, January, February, March, everyone's shuffling to get out these positions. Mm -hmm. SVB goes to Goldman Sachs and says, let's do a private raise so I can short my position. Goldman Sachs tried it, didn't work, still got a $100 million commission because Goldman said, we can't raise, so you gotta sell. So then Wednesday, last Wednesday, I believe that was the 8th, the news comes out, top of the morning, Silicon Valley Bank sells $1.75 billion. Fact check me if I'm wrong, but I think it was $1.75 billion uh, in share sale to shore up liquidity. And mm -hmm. they did that a major L. Made yeah. A huge loss. Yeah. The loss is what then made people from Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday pull all their cash out. Because mm -hmm. that's a realized That's a realized loss. loss. And so $50 billion of cash was mm -hmm. pulled out of SVB mm -hmm. by all the startups and companies that Carl referred to in two days. So much so by Friday morning, our time, noon, West Coast time, 9 a.m., the bank shuts down. And FDIC, the process of FDIC taking over the bank is like really like interesting. Um, you think they move quickly or they, they didn't move everywhere. quickly enough? So like what they do is they mm -hmm. pull up in your town. Mm -hmm. Black cars. Um, Black cars. They they <laughs> it, it's really like suburban. interesting. Yeah. They, they pull up in your town. They book, they book a hotel. They book a hotel under like a conspicuous name. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Vandalay Industries. Yeah, some shell company. Some shell sounding company <laughs> joint. They hold a meeting. All right, guys, here's the memo. We're taking that over as we be tomorrow morning. Okay? You're going to go and do the cash count. You're going to go and do this. You're going to go and do that. You're going to verify this. You're going to verify that. Mm -hmm. You're going to be there at 9 a.m. They come in regular clothes. Mm -hmm. They keep the guys with the FDIC jackets in the van. Mm -hmm. They pull up. They wait. Usually, they catch the bank when it closes at night. Yes. They wait till the last customer leaves. And then they... And then they take the bank. They took these cats on the open. Yeah, on them. It was like, yo, come on it. Come on it. John's here. He, he can validate it, right? Yeah. I got a text message with a screenshot from Carl, Carl follows somebody on Twitter and he puts in the chat with me, him, and John. And it says, Black cars have pulled up to SVB's office. At the time, I laughed because I didn't know what that meant until now. Yeah, it's crazy. What up? Yeah. What but up? Good morning. Let me ask you a question, though. As an investor now, okay. Yeah. What's your position now? Well, we, I, I have a different one, so I'll let yeah, Carl go first. Okay. Yeah, so so I'm pretty diversified, right? Like, I have positions right now in startup companies. Um, like I said before, like, if you're a founder and I know you got an attorney, and that means I know you got your docs together. I want to look over all your docs, make sure you're good money. Then I want to learn about your business. And after I learn about your business, if I'm really into it, I'm wiring you a check. So I have a position in a startup. Um, obviously, I have my traditional public market positions, which I'm not really looking at right now because market volatility is ridiculous. But I've also been wilding on six-month treasuries. And the reason why is because the interest rate risk on that is really, really low. But the rates are the highest they've been in decades. So six percent money. I bought like a hundred grand worth of six month joints, and I'm waiting till they mature. Months. I'm gonna take 6%. that plus the matured money. Six more months. Yeah. Six more months. Like right now, things are getting interesting because of the last few weeks of financial turmoil. You've been seeing 
the six-month treasury drop about 30 basis points. So what was 5% now is like probably 4.7, but you know, I'm sure that once we get past all of this, if we're able to get past all of this, those rates will shoot back up, especially if the Fed give me another 25 clip next week, because they're supposed to give us another 25 show mm -hmm. next week. And that's the thing, like, Powell was raising rates when he first got the job. People forgot that. He was raising rates because Trump is the person who nominated Powell. Mm -hmm. Powell got the job. First thing he did, he was like, word, jack the rates. Bang, bang, bang. Trump was on Twitter talking about, yo, you got to chill. You raising rates. Nobody else is raising rates. Why would you do that? Da, 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 da. Then Powell was like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lower it back. And so people think that because this is going on, that he's going to do the same thing. Oh, look, SVB, first, first um, Republic signature. Oh, my God, we can't raise race no more. They think that he's going to be like, All right, I'm not going to raise no more. Sorry, guys. But I think he's like, oh, y'all thought I was soft. Well, well wait, Carl, tell, <laughs> tell, tell him politically what, to Stanley's point, politically what happened in the last 24 months that allowed Paul Powell to shift gears. Who's now the president? And when yeah. Biden, Biden came in place. Yeah. Biden. And Biden came into office when? Right, right after that. So this is the thing, right? The Federal Reserve is independent. Mm -hmm. Why is that? It's an independent entity. It's not like, oh yeah, you know. Uh, uh, oh yes, yes, yes. Sorry. It is. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not a, federal. It's not it's, part of the government. It's, 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 it's called it's the not, Federal Reserve. It's not part of the government. It's a private company. But at the same token, thank you for saying it's that. still. Gets influenced. It gets influenced. Sure, I yeah. agree. Um, I'm really happy we're all on the same. But, <laughs> but the thing is, um, when you have a president who is able to influence the Fed chair, that independence starts to get blurry. Right. Yes. And we've had like bouts in history where, like, the president tried to influence the Fed chair. People forgot this, but like in the nineties. Bill Clinton was on some, yo, Greenspan, chill. Greenspan was like, shut up. Mm. Bang. Like, <laughs> like it was, yeah. you know, that relationship right. always, we really started to see like Fed chair, treasury, president, really start to like kind of start Commingle. working together in the 08 crisis mm -hmm. because they had to work together. Every, everything was crashing. Yeah, because right. everything was, they had to work together to get this money out. And that's when you started to see the position at the Fed change, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so today, I believe that Powell was like, yo, my job is inflation. And I see these banks teetering, tottering, but J.P. Morgan won in the shell over some brand UBS going to buy a credit Suisse. Like, yo, they'll fix it. Right. But I'm raising rates some more. That's my take mm -hmm. on that. Well, I mean, exactly. so my investments reflect that, right? Which is why, I like six month treasuries, I'm like load them up because the my interest rate risk is low, and if I don't get paid, that's the least of my problems. That means there's no outside if I don't get paid. That means there's no government. Yeah. We won't. It's it's the purge outside if I'm not getting paid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Government workers not getting paid. Post office, you're not getting no mail. Like everything, trash. That's the least of my problems yeah. if right, I don't right. get paid, right? right. So, 
Um, so that's those are my investments right now. From my perspective, Stanley, I think the founders have to, because Carl's an active investor, he has to follow market trends and news with a hyper level sensitivity because he's got money at risk. I think if you're a founder, you have to almost have the same level of intensity to ignore said news and then switch your entire thought process and thesis of how you view yourself as a founder to say it is no longer my value directly correlated to how much I raise. It is no longer my value directly correlated to top, behind how many headlines I can get on news and press. You can only say as a founder today, put some respect on my name by my product growth and my revenue growth, mm. right? Fundamentals today have entirely shifted based on how VCs are now looking at startups. I have friends who as of last year, before Powell was even really on some put some respect on my name, I had friends in VC that were like, I only underwrite early stage companies based on churning 12 revenue now, right? T12 revenue is what my company at Resi gets rated on now. Like I'm series B growth equity stage. Those investors are treating early stage companies like series BC growth stage companies. That's never happened before either, right? When two years ago, you could raise $25 million on an idea that was barely validated. Today, you're laughed out the room. They won't even look at the deck, right? And then in diligence, once you are raising money, they're putting terms on a table that are just usury at best. Like today, the early stage founder is finding out how much of a shark industry being a venture capitalist really is, mm -hmm. right? That's also like a mind fuck mm -hmm. relative to the last two years. Mm -hmm. so, so if you got in the game as a being a founder from 2020 till today, this year, not only is it I'll either die or survive, your learning curve is about to be exponential. Oh, you're yeah. about to see the truth, right? If you got in when it was frothy mm -hmm. the last three years, mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's hitting you, you like get, a pile of bricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, right? you thought you thought there was wells, but now you're starting to see the sharks. sharks. Yeah, right? you're getting and it's no longer water. And I think you know my friends who are in banking and, and on the you know, the deal side, right, where Carl used to work, they're giving me intel with regularity around. Oh, it's really not a game. That company you thought was one of your competitors, they got two term sheets. Someone's trying to buy them today at eighty cents on the dollar, mm -hmm. and they haven't released any public pain yet. So that means people are already trying to buy companies and, and the startup community at a discount. It's only going to get cheaper from here. Yeah. So my biggest piece of advice is to kind of twofold. If you're early stage, you have to avoid the noise. It should be product, revenue, and unit economics only. Is this a viable business model? You've had me on the show a couple of times. We talked about how founders need to stay focused on a replicable model that scales, right? Mm -hmm. Go to one to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16. Right? Can you just keep that growth consistent? And can you drop your price or the cost of that growth marginally as you grow? Today, forget hyper growth where I have 10,000 users and no revenue. Forget I have $25 million from Greylock or Bessemer or Sequoia. I'll say all the names of the bigs. Those, they're not even looking at you anymore. So if you're early, stay focused purely on product growth, revenue, and making the cost cheaper to do the thing you're doing. And if you're later stage, at the end of the day, it's about profitability. Period. Like you, you, the only thing that matters if you're growth stage past Series A is your profitability sort of timeline, and then what it looks like post you hitting that first market profitability. Like no one wants to invest in the Airbnbs of the world that still don't turn profit but still go public. Right. No one wants to underwrite the WeWorks of the world that changed the gap accounting standards. Mm -hmm. Right. It's real now. Like mm -hmm. everything is real. It's real now. And like you didn't have to build a business before. In yeah. order to get money, like now you have to build a business. 
you, I mean, you got to have some structure in there. Stand. Yeah. It's, it's simple. You got to build an actual bit. Before it was, I got this great idea. Mm-hmm. And here's how big my market is. Mm-hmm. Boom. Now it's, yo, like. I'm a 1% of this market. Yeah. yeah. Like, so I'm glad you up. said that. Yeah. And I'm it's glad you, you point time. that. It, it is. It's paid but I, here's the segue we're about to get into because mm-hmm. Carl and I was on the phone and we were talking about um, ownership, full yeah. ownership versus giving some people some equity, right? Mm-hmm. So this time... This conversation John and I have had for years. <laughs> so I think <laughs> this segment... Look at John saying his He knows equity all too well. <laughs> so this, I think, this segues into what you guys are saying as of right now, uh, because the sharks are out and they smell blood, Everybody smells you blood. may have to line yourself with somebody that can give you some kind of leverage. First of all, in this market, you can build a great business. Make sure all your legal docs is together. Clean docs. Clean. Clean docs. You got, you got a lawyer checking on that person all the time. I know lawyers is expensive. My firm, we do sliding scale services. So, you know, you do small startup. Oh, yeah, yeah. Telos, Arate. Like, we do sliding scale services. If you need 10 hours a month, 20, 2500 That could be your package. Legit. You know what I'm saying? Because I know how... Crazy it could be if they're going to like bigger, bigger law firms who's hitting them with 2500 an hour. You know mm-hmm, what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, first of all, you get that out the way. You make sure all your equity docs are airtight. A lot of founders make these mistakes in the beginning. What they'll do is, oh, this is my man. We started a company together. Oh, yeah. 50, the back of the napkin. 50 50. 50-50 right now. We, don't work like that. we own us. One year later, your man don't want to do it no more. You putting all that work in. Conflict. He's gone with half of the cap table already vested. You need to create a structure where he's got to earn that 50. Yeah, 50 is yours. If you're here for five years, it's yours. Investing period. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you got to have that baked in already. You got to make sure all your ownership docs are good. So, you you know, you're headquartered wherever you're headquartered or you're registered wherever you're registered. If you got subsidiaries, making sure your joint's airtight. You got to also make sure that you know your docs when you're getting them from the VCs because they're going to be putting um, um, right of first refusals in there. So contingencies. Yeah, they're going to be putting lots of in. Covenants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of, um, if you're borrowing money, there's going to be mad covenants. And covenants basically are promises that you'll do certain things. So like if you're trying to borrow some money, you know, they'll say, all right, well, we looked at your 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 tra- your trailing 12. Yep, 212s. Or we looked at um your sales revenue numbers. Mm-hmm. Well, the minimum you got to hit is X number. Milestones down. If you don't hit that number, yeah. we're going to accelerate the loan to pay yeah. it back. Yeah. Or a word like you're a company that owns a bunch of Cribs, mm-hmm. or you got a bunch of leases. Well, cool. If you want to borrow money from me, I want you to put your leases down as collateral. Shout out to Flow. He's referring to Adam Newman's $1.25 billion valuation by putting up 6,000 apartments as collateral. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a VC raise, that was an asset back loan. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And like, these are things that, as a like, and that's why I'm, I'm always telling cats, like, yo. The lawyers do these deals every day and they fight with each other. Yes. I'm fighting other lawyers. I'm like, are you nuts? You think you're gonna put you think you're gonna have my man put that up? Mm-hmm. No way. Get mm-hmm. out of here. Thanks Be to taking the that off. I'm you know all the floor up. <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? So 
So you got to make sure, so at least if you don't have the lawyers involved yet, you need to learn all of that, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's first. Build your business, understand your docs, and then the second thing is you don't have to take every dime that's being tossed towards you, especially if you're focused on building the business, right? Like, you know, folks are more so really tied up in what's this long-term vision? Mm-hmm. You know, what do, yo, da, 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 I want to build this business over time. I need more time. So I see that I just need money so I could build out the revenue that's going to come. And that's, and, and if I can opine. Yeah, please. That, that is where Carl and I are hundred percent aligned, right? Today, if you're starting a business, there is no way, shape or form, any conversations being had about solidifying it without, documentation and a lawyer reviewing it so no more back in a napkin it's even if you google download a template for what it looks like to do a founder agreement you need to have counsel right counsel has to be at every single stage right Mm -hmm. like the whole like uh what's what's the website zoom uh, legal zoom legal zoom yeah that's cool that gets you the template you can go on irs.gov cop the free ein you can go to chase wells to open up the the business bank account you and your man could put 10 grand in a piece but anything past that has to be a formalized, notarized, co-executed legal document. And if you don't have that, that's problematic because that's step one. Then to Carl's second point, the BCs are giving you documents that if you don't have a counsel read, you're clipped. Mm-hmm. Absolutely bro, clipped. Bro. 100%. They use monikers that like our folks don't no, even yeah. understand. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. The terminology ones. is just like crazy. Yo, like they'll like, why like don't you VC, just say that then? A VC will hit you. Uh, I want a two X select prep. You like? Don't worry about it. It's the last line item. It's just cool. Don't get deal two X select prep for my terms. You'll get there. You'll be alright. Yeah. But like that is a two X. That is a twice. That's a that's a two staged liquidation preference. And what that means is, I want to get paid. I want to get liquidated twice. I want to get liquidated when. Somebody new buys into the company. And when you sell. And nah. And if you have revenue or you have profit, I want to get paid first. Excuse me. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I want to get paid first. Yes. And it's like, wait, but hold on. Like, I want to take a profit. I'm the founder of the business. Like, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you took my money. You took my money. You took my money. And you're like, all right, cool. Well, you know what? Like, I'ma sell my shares. To because and this is it's a chess match in legal docs, right? So it's like, all right, well, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna sell my shares to this other VC so he can have a bigger position and he could influence da, da, da. But then, like in that original VC's offer that he gave you, he put in what they call a rofo or rofer, a right of first refusal or a right of first offer. And essentially, what he's saying is. If you want to even sell your shares, you got to offer it to me first. Right. I'm, I'm going to get my permission. You got to offer it to me first. No. And I got to say no. no. And then you could talk to your man. Which is, which is why now, I think, from all the content you've shot between you and I, Stanley, one topic we've never talked about that Carl's making it quite clear, startup founders have to learn how to diligence their investors now. Oh, yeah. You thought you had to have everything tied up nice and neat with your co-founders. The dudes putting money or gals putting money on the table today, those contracts are as nasty as somebody giving you a 360 deal signing you to a music label. It's the same game. It's the same game. It's, same it's, game. it's all payola, right? And you have to really recognize that like 
But you got to do that. You you have to do dilly anybody putting money up. And you have to recognize that that's not the only source. It isn't just equity or this equity or that equity. That, you could go venture debt. You could go to the big banks and get a credit facility. Right now, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, uh, shout out to Navy Federal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaking his head. But like, but like you could get like you get a revolving credit facility. Like Man. a big piece of exposure that SVB had to the depositors were they would be like, cool, you just raised your five million dollar seed back. Give me the five. I give you two and a half in a credit facility, right? I'll lend you that. Come to me, you'll draw down. We'll do a five hundred thousand dollar clips at a time. Right, like that level of exposure, they had to send out notifications this week that like, hey, we're still ad we're still adhering to every credit facility we provided. Not issuing new ones, but if you have one with us, you can still draw down. Right, yeah. but guess what? When you leave equity to Carl's point, you really build in the structure. When you go venture debt, it's all structure. When you go credit facility, it's all structure. So if you're not diligencing someone giving you cash, you're done if you're taking debt from somebody. You're gonna get cooked. Because right? yeah. like, yo, like. What's interesting is we spoke about Robert Moses earlier, right? You know what led to Robert Moses' fall? No, I actually don't. Um, the Rockefellers, the governor, uh, Nelson Rockefeller, seventies, mm -hmm. in the seventies, had the covenants to all the bonds. He had the covenants to all the bonds that Moses sold. To, that, finance. to finance all the projects. And he said, and he straight up said, yo, bro, if you don't do what I say, I didn't know this. If you don't do what I say, I'm accelerating this shit. Yeah. And you might have to pay me back all the money for everything. I did not know this. That's how he got him. He I got him off the covenants. I watched mm -hmm. Mother of Brooklyn and I didn't see that. He got him off the covenants. That's crazy. And and of course Robert Moses is not looking at the covenants. No, no, because all he wanted was the power to make the executive. Because he wanted to build things. Yeah, that's all he wanted to do. It's the founder financier relationship I like realized. That. I like how you did that. You see what I'm saying? It's the founder financier relationship realized. Yeah. Oh, I want to build things. I want to make. Uh, right. but I ain't reading what. Right. Who's buying the bonds? Well, da, 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 da. I'm just issuing them. Somebody's buying them. Same thing credit facilities. Mm -hmm. Same thing credit facilities. Right now, I'm learning. I'll like, take your fridge out your. I'll take your fridge, your chairs. It's real. Like I had a friend. I had a friend who, you know, won't say no names, but huge credit facility, mm -hmm. right? Had like 500 mil from a line, and his 500 million dollars was um, discretionary and and revolving, so he could borrow from it. Pay it back with interest, borrow the same money, right? So it was nonstop. Um, that line was with a bank who was impacted by the SBB, SBB fallout. He found out trying to do a draw that when he emailed his guy at the shop, the bank was CC. The bank replied to my man, came over the top and was like, no, he, he can't sign that covenant. He can't do that. Why not? Because it goes against, 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 against that bank's interest. So like like people don't realize like when you get the credit facility they're mm -hmm. borrowing from someone else yeah that's not even their money and they got to pay a rate on that which is how they pass the rate down to you mm -hmm. and so like it, the, the crisis should teach founders one simple thing no matter what stage you are I don't care if you listen to Stan Lee's podcast as somebody who's just interested and so it starts now is giving you kind of like a flavor of what it looked like to start or you're somebody who's really well experienced well healed you've been in it for a minute everyone's on the same page now because it's capital at risk. 
And when capital is at risk, you know who isn't affected? The mom and pop that does everything with no loans and it's all cash. Mm-hmm. Right? That laundry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that center, laundry room, Right? That, yeah, that, yeah, that donut man, shop. That donut, oh, the lo- local spots. All the local spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because yeah. if that's third generation mm-hmm. pizza store and everything comes off the top and you mm-hmm. don't take cards mm-hmm. and it's cash only, mm-hmm. they're good. Yeah. My only pushback to that is if you own the building. <laughs> so I'm not saying go do yeah. that. But what I'm saying is like, there's a big no, disparity. No, no, no. I'm saying because I... Even right now, um, I don't want to. I'm looking into something, right? Sure. And I was looking at a a, a mixed use property, and I saw that the um, laundry mat was for sale in the mixed use. That they selling the whole thing, and I've never seen, from my time, right? I've never seen a laundry mat put up for sale, mm. right? I've never seen it closed down, basically, like yeah. that, right? I've never you, seen you that. You always see his ownership shift. You shift. Never see you it. see yeah. the ownership, but the laundromat always been there. Yeah. yeah. This is the first time it's actually going to go away. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this like, wow, we really in this. We really in no, the mix. Yeah, like, the time the yeah. But that, that's we how in the mud right now. Yeah. I just, I just bought a property with a billboard on it. That's for something. Man. And like, <laughs> and like, bro, like, I, it was a, it was a mattress place and it was there for 30 years. It's crazy. Stuff like, like that, that you don't see. Only tenant. And I'm like, yo, like that the mattress business is a it's a cyclical business. You know what I'm saying? People got a mattress five, ten years, whatever. The cost of a mattress typically is really high. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, damn, like mattress place went out of business. That was the owner's only tenant. It was like, all right, man, we out the game. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. But like you see these shifts happening, yeah. right? And like um, we in the I, mud right now. Yeah, we in the mud. Well, listen, and I think the, the best part about being in the mud is if you're seeing a mattress company go out of business mm-hmm. and a laundromat going out of business and you're trying to start a startup, it cannot be the fluffy shit. Mm-mm. Like, wait, stop wasting your time. Please mm-hmm. don't quit the job. Don't be on the ah, 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 rah, rah, rah. We're going to make this happen. Keep your W-2 income mm-hmm. allocating your savings cut to the idea until the idea actually is producing revenue. I wouldn't even say leave the job as early stage founder if you got a small round and friends and family or like you got a couple of users. Please keep your job, mm-hmm. right? Because candidly, what's going to happen is when the rah, rah, rah goes away and all of a sudden it's in turmoil. So everyone around you is in fear. There's no more motivational clips that's on your feed on Instagram that's going to wake you up in the morning. They don't do it for you anymore. No, they don't do it for you anymore. Anybody who got nine to five, they slave. No, yeah, got <laughs> that. That shit, Stop that. that shit is only. There's one thing you can walk away from this episode. It's, Stop listening to the motivational uh, clips on IG that tell you leave your job. It's over no, with, bro. bro. If, I, I I used to think that, and I said this too. I, a friend of mine, I was talking. He asked me, "Hey, listen, should I leave and start my business?" But this was a couple of months ago, right? And I said, "If you have a cushion, you have enough cushion." And what I mean by a cushion, like you have at least nine months to a year. A year then I said, yeah, go ahead, take a chance. Right now that I'm realizing that we like in the mud mud, I would tell them, hey man, turn the profit first. There you go. Turn you the profit first. Yeah, make it work before you quit. Yeah, make it work and use that cushion to help fund it. When right? somebody asked me that question, yo, should I quit my job to start my business? I would say, can you afford insurance? Oh, that's the killer. That's, that's the like, killer. Like, ooh. That's it. Yeah. Because like, I'm like, yo, you first thing you gotta be healthy. Second thing you got nice teeth because you gotta close deals. I'm gonna take it even if further. You can't afford those things. Wait, wait, wait. But what if you have a family mm. and an insurance mm-hmm. and then you covering? Mm-hmm. 
So if somebody on the that, team, in the family team, in that family tree got to have I'm telling you this yeah. as a person who's who had to put together a group plan for my employees. I was like, oh my God. Nah, I'm yeah, trying to hit. Structure. I was like, I got to hit on y'all checks for this because this is crazy. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I'm, the payroll mm-hmm. tax alone. It's yeah, insane. It's, payroll tax alone is insane, but that, he's right about the, the, the health care. The health care yeah. is like, ridiculous. When we said when we set the company, um, the, my, I was thinking like 500, 600 for per paycheck. Mm-hmm. It was bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. Like, they hitting you for like over a grand yeah, yeah. in a month yeah. just for medical. The, the, right? The health, and that's not even the, the premium. No, I'm not even even more. That's not even your copay. PPO is real. What? Yeah, PPO is real. I mean, healthcare. Healthcare healthcare shakes your hand, smiles in your face, and they got the knife in the palm. So as soon as you shake their hand, you're bleeding. Right? The longer they shake your hand, you're gonna bleed more. And when they take it out, you're bleeding. Like you might might bleed out. Yeah. Like it. Like it's it's so crazy. I mean, again, John's in the room, so I'll just I'll speak candidly. One time we were looking at an investment, and the founder, you could tell he did. He just he didn't have his, his stuff together. He started his job. And in that conversation, I get put on to, to, to Tiller and all these money management tools and like Roth 401ks and self-directed, right? So I go down this rabbit hole with John. I'm like, now granted, I have bias because I'm a founder at a venture-backed company. So like, I don't remember a lot of this. Like back in the day, we did like Gusto for like high level mm-hmm. of six of us. And I haven't touched that in a while. I know it's expensive because I know what my OPEX is every month. But when I looked at it on an individual level, if I just wanted to do this the right way, all my dental, all my uh, vision, all my health, mm-hmm. PT if I needed, mm-hmm. worst case scenario, uh, what the deductibles look like, then how do I put my 401k money away? How do I have something I can trade from my savings? It's like 10 different accounts and or tools to be used to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. As of today, if you can't do that for yourself, don't leave your job. And if you can, don't partner with somebody as a co-founder if they can't do that for themselves either. They're gonna kill your business. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, like yeah. today, I think that the pattern matching of mm-hmm. success is even more important. Like to, to, I, I to think, stay, I think it's number one. It right has to be number one. Yeah, In times like this, yeah. if your man's like, I don't care how far y'all go back. Like honestly, this time period is when the day one definition changes. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I do, I don't even now. think that. Like you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, not just separate the day one, but you gotta be like. Listen, what do you bring to the table too? Well, it has to be an equal match. That's how you really conclude any conversation because it's got to be about facts now. It got to be. I don't right. care about how much we've been through, nah. how many joints we clipped, mm-hmm. how many wild times we mm-hmm. had. None of it matters. Mm-hmm. None of that matters. Because I got yeah. a son. Can yeah. we build? Can we Not, build? You, you, can you build and can I trust you to be in the trenches, right? Yeah. It's one thing you're in the trenches, homies. Right, 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 right. Like right, we right. in the trench, we've been but, on the block together, we did a few things together. Like but said, now yeah. we're in the trenches where, That's like, yo, yo, we could lose some bread here. And I can be out of a you know situation. I could be out of my home. If things don't work out, you could be out of the investments because you, you're putting in a lot of money into this. And if they're not matching you, and I think a lot of times we get that confused because uh, one person may have the capital and the other person, and we talked about that, yeah, right? Yeah. So Sweat equity versus sweat cash equity out. and cash out. But I think right now that we're in the mud, sweat equity may not count. Because at the end of the day, I need to know that you're invested. Yeah, cost or cost. Oh, yeah, cost or oh, cost. Like cost. Put, put, in, put in something cost so you know. Cost. Yeah, because you, if you can easily walk away, like, damn, this shit too much. I'm yeah. out of here. That's <laughs> why the docs are important, right? Because, yeah. like, for example, um, I was actually talking to John about this last night. But there's a particular document where you can hold 
found is accountable. It's called the Restricted Stock Purchase Agreement, mm. right? And what you do is in this joint, you say, all right, cool. Um, we're going to buy X amount of shares for X dollars. Um, we're also going to give you a certain amount of shares, but those shares will vest over four years, and then there's going to be a one-year cliff, right? So now there is no, I don't feel like it no more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Well, you don't got 50% no more. Because you ain't stick it out. Mm -hmm. Or you ain't you ain't pay for the buy-in yeah. in the initial. Yep. You see what I'm saying? So not, since you ain't paid for the your, your best. Your best only extends from here. You can link it yourself in the worst case. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like yeah. that's how you hold people accountable the whole ride. Because yeah. a lot of and the reason why I know this process was because I actually went through, I built a company. I allowed someone to join with me years after I built it. He was in there cooking. And then was like, yo, I want more equity. I was like, whoa, we agreed on this amount of equity. He was like, nah. And I was like, all right, I think I got to buy you out. But I had to buy him out on the full clip. And he wasn't even in for a year. But I had to the shares back. But I got to get my shares back. They're allocated. Once they're allocated, they're allocated. So I had to buy so like I had to buy him back and I was like, I'm never dealing with this problem again. Shout out to Strike. If we are six, if we're six months in and I and I'm supposed to give you X percent, mm -hmm. like nah, it's only six months. So whatever vested in six months is what That's you get. It. Everything else is so like, in the pot. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. so out of fifty percent, mm -hmm. you would have got ten. But they gotta be some red flags. What you mean? Like <sighs> well, wait, 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 I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. The assumption is there's got to be red flags. But if that assumption was correct, Stan, you wouldn't see Jay fighting. Uh, who's he fighting? Dame. With? No, no, no. Tequila. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, Duce. Uh, I, I think no, no. he fight. He had to get his check for Duce. Who was trying? Bacardi. Mm -hmm. Bacardi. Yeah, Bacardi was on some like, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know, I want mm -hmm. it back. And Jay was like, no, Parvati. Mm -hmm. Right? And they bring him a fight on price. Right? If the red flags were regular, that title acquisition, he wouldn't have had to go on back for 70% of what he paid for. Mm -hmm. Right? Like the red, I hear you. Mm -hmm. But in biz, the red flags are so hard because candidly, most of the red flags don't come out until you're in the mud. So to your point, when you're negotiating, you're not in the mud. Yeah. Right? Y'all yeah, at the table. Yeah. It's yeah. well lit. Mm -hmm. Y'all probably got juice and coffee. And it's, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the trenches will always will expose someone's truth. Yeah. Right? Their yeah. character. Yeah. The way they respond to yeah. trauma. What's mm -hmm. unhealed about mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. All that breakdown happens when that pressure comes. And the best way for founders to really try to work in that assumption is you got to ask those questions and do the diligence up front with your partners now. Mm -hmm. Candidly, day ones, the old school day ones, can't take that due diligence. But you ask me those questions for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, my mom used to care. What you yeah, talking about? You don't trust me? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Integrity. That's, the, that's the first thing. I'm going to do you yeah, dirty? Yeah, yeah. Well, we never had 15 on the table, so what no. you mean? I, I, I can't answer that question because we never in this scenario. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and to Carl's point, if you can't, or whoever said it, if you can't, put your close ones, day ones through the ringer on the business side, you can't go into business and technically they shouldn't be in your circle. Not in the mud. Mm -hmm. They add no value. Yeah. That, that's we see that's the thing. It's like I think we confuse it because Oil they come up with us and we we're in the mud together, yeah. but that's on the block. You know, that's in the oh, neighborhood. So I'm at the cafe. You got kids. Yeah. Not you that cat table, boy. We look like it's just... Yeah, yeah like, the table's different now. I, I hate to quote Jay yeah. so much, but like, like it is the truth. But that's because he, he he's already went through it. Right. So like, he, like, he's giving you, he's giving us the rear view of what he went through. The strongest right? bar to me and God did is I kicked snow off a frozen temp. 
There's a lot of interpretation around that. The way I see it is I kicked snow off of frozen Tim because the body was, was frozen. Right? That's somebody dead. That's somebody either that tried to take my work, somebody that was working for me that got their work taken. Either way, that's a consequence of the, of the cost we're in. Today, you will get taken to task, the equivalent of someone kicking dirt, uh, snow off a of frozen Tim while you're still breathing and shaking right in front of your face in the boardroom based purely on the documentation. Mm -hmm. 50 had to sue the ex-employee, got his money, and had to kick the dude out of his crazy. house, of his crib. Yeah, 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 but 50 yeah. had to take him to court. We, 50 does not come from a lifestyle where someone can burn you for two million mm -hmm. and you got to sit down and look at them face to face, know where they live, watch them come in and out of court. Mm. Your man got to sit in the car, watch them yeah, come in and out of the car yeah, yeah. and you can't touch them because yeah. you got to go through the legal process. The problem is most people aren't built for legal process. So do not go into business with somebody that you can't take to court. One of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes from Dame Dash. I got lawyer, oh no, Jason, I got lawyer fees. Mm -hmm. You know what's real? Like you think cop and change is cool? What's really cool is having lawyer fees. If you can't even define yourself as defensible, if you were to get done dirty in the trenches, you shouldn't even be trying to get into the trenches. Yeah. If you because getting out is a struggle too. But yeah, that's the hardest like, part. It's yeah. easy to get in. It's easy to get in. Come on. I mean, so, it's no different than the baddie. Yeah. Like you can walk up to her. All of a sudden, you actually start to like her. Feelings yeah. get deep. She turned you out. Now you're like, no, no one can have her. Right? We watch it all the time. Dudes mm. go crazy with married. you. Yeah. Yeah, all marriage. Yeah. Marriage. Divorce cases. Trying to get out. That's they, a, they hit you everything. So everything. half, mm -hmm. custody, it's, 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 it's alimony. you like, damn. Stanley, right. you're from Queens. Uh, uh, Carl's from Brooklyn. No, technically, I'm from Brooklyn. I just moved to Excuse Queens. me. Excuse, excuse, excuse me. <laughs> I just from a representation standpoint. Okay, okay. representation standpoint, John and I are, are Harlem Knights. Harlem, historically, yeah. you know, get money real flashy. It's really interesting in Harlem. You don't see nobody on the block anymore the way it used to be. No. You don't no. see the big bodies pulling up till 4 no. a.m. Like, it might be Jim or it might be Fab, but that's really it. Yeah, the yeah. rest of the hood, Harlem is changing. Mm -hmm. If I were to put it in the context for most readers, I need y'all to really get Brooklyn right now. You, and stay Brooklyn for a while, right? Assume everybody's trying to get you, mm -hmm. right? Assume everything's got to be looked at through a microscope. Take yeah. no one's word for a grant. Like, I need everyone to move as a founder, like you are from East New York, and your whole life has been East New York, boy. right? Has been has been hard, and so like you can't like that ship is now more viable mm -hmm. than anything. I think that ship is actually you're right, but it it, it kind of keeps you on your toes. Like you can't get off your toes I, now. Can't get off your toes. I go in the restaurants, right? I don't like, the, but that's from growing up in East New York. I don't keep my back to the door. Ever. Everything, right? Ever. So I I'm just naturally paranoid. So in the beginning, when observing. I got with my wife, observing, I like that word. So when I got with my wife and I used to be like, can we shift? Like, you know, I, but there's certain things I would do because I was so paranoid. And then she was like, why are you so paranoid? I said, out of habit. It's just out of habit. You you, when, you, when you raise a, yeah, yeah it's just out of habit. Like, and there's certain things that just don't shed off easily. Yeah. Right. And so I think in business, you can't bring that mentality into business. You can the behaviors like in, mm -hmm, in terms of mm -hmm. paranoia, but you can't treat. But you can't treat no, no, no. That's the you thing. Gotta gauge you got to gauge it. You got to. That's John, it. I had a conversation with Carl. I came in like it's, it's the mode I'm on all the rest of the year, and John had his had his taco tray open. I took a piece <laughs> took a piece of taco. He was like, "What's crazy is I would have gave you one by yourself if you asked." Two, you gotta gauge this. If that's how you move on, you, you gotta gauge that shit. <laughs> Yo, he's right. Like, but, like, but you have to. You like, got to. You right? have to have the chip and then balance it with okay, I'm in the room. And I got Carl here. Carl here. I need to be able to shut the fuck up and let him drive the conversation. Yeah, 
Right. I need to be able to sit back and say, I pay counselor. Counselor's the animal. Yeah. Right. I don't like yeah. at best, maybe I'll do a whisper yeah. like old mob trials. Yeah. But I'm not standing up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At this point, I actually yeah. have to really play the yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. And people who this entire time for these last few years were raising all this easy money and all tech crunch headlines, they have no idea how to play the back. So a big killer of startups, like, so we just, just to transition, we talked about like how to move to do it. The killer, the thing I think that's going to keep y'all from this episode posting sometime in the month of March to the end of the year, you're going to see a lot of people die based on hubris Mm. and, or Mm. an inability to buckle down. Mm. Cause when Mm. it was easy, you made easy decisions and your lifestyle, your work ethic is easy. Right. Mm. And this point in time, when everything's hard, most people can't wake up, go to sleep, and stay in hard all day long, mm-hmm. right? Most just aren't built to do that. And so the death of a lot of startups will be their culture wasn't really built on cost-cutting, being lean, mitigating the downside, and driving through. Their business model from a CAC perspective was a bunch of GMV, but really small gross margins because it's really expensive to, to get to their GMV. But they didn't really you know, care about the cost of acquisition of the customer because all they wanted was GMV to go up. Well, no VCs... Li- investing on GMV anymore. As a matter of fact, the only thing they care about isn't even gross margins. Now they ask about net, mm. right? Because bottom line is what matters, not top line. Mm. That's a quite dramatic shift. So what you're really saying is between you, between Stanley and Carl, my biggest takeaway from this conversation is this founder now has to be low-key-esque Superman because mm-hmm. you have to have the chip maintained, mm-hmm. the business nature to never show a blink or a flinch. So that's stoic. That's, you know, observant. Then in the team as a leader, you have to be driving productivity at the highest level, but you can't be a slave master because then they're going to quit. But then you also have to be cost conscious. So how do you make the most from a little? And if you don't come from a background where you had to make a dollar stretch, you're really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. If you don't come from a background where you had to live in the trenches that time you woke up and the time you went to sleep and two weeks later it's the same, you're in trouble. So like at this point, unfortunately to say, the grit, just like, Fairly Dickinson went in the game last night because they weren't afraid of the seven five center. So the the five foot nine point guard just kept running under him every time he got a rebound to steal the ball. Like that, you have to move like that every. You gotta be creative. But you also have to see Goliath is not really being Goliath. Mm, It just is now. I like that. It's like it's no more that like stop doing the comparison thing. This is just simply the way it is right now. Yeah. And so this you have to find joy in in this struggle, Mm -hmm. right? And that's why I'm saying kind of from the Brooklyn piece like. Your favorite rapper, favorite rapper, they all came from like the same high school, right? Was it Big J and Busta? Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Like, like you, you have to really find your source, choose what that name is, and that be the name. My man, who's a VC, he's now living in Miami, and he's around a lot of billionaires, right? Um, and his two of his billionaire friends are making a play for uh, Michael Jordan stake, and he was talking to me like, yo, you know, I feel some type of way when I'm in the room with these these guys. Because, you know, they're moving 800 million and 700 million, 600 million. They got a bill. They manage X amount of money. I said, well, you know what, bro? The only difference between you and them is they know how to move at a, at a certain level 24-7. We, have been, we were watching the FDU game and I was talking to them. And I said, you know, it's, you know crazy history being making a 16 beat and a 1. He was like, yeah, when I hooped, I won't say that's college, so I, so I don't call them out. He's like, when I hooped, we were in first round. And we were playing at 15 and down by 10 at halftime. He said, so I came back in the second half and scored 24. Mm. I said, you dropped 24 in the second half of a first round game. 
It's 15 minutes on the clock. Let's say that take a you know an hour based on all the timeouts and TV timeouts. So in an hour, you stayed in second gear. I said the billionaires you live around and do and, and work with every day, they work in second gear all day long. They they live in second gear. You mm. did it for an hour to win a game. They do that as a lifestyle. Mm. The only difference between you and them is you did it for a game. I bet if you focus on living your lifestyle second gear at all times, the dollars will eventually match. Mm. Mm. So don't look at them as like, I'm not on the same level. I can't learn from them. I can't carry a conversation. Fuck that. Be a fly on the wall. Because at the end of the day, they inspire to be you too. Right? You, take them, you take them to a heat game. All they, they hope a player falls on them so they can be like, oh, shit, good job. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wish they could sit on the same level Jay is and dap him up like y'all. Like they want to be cool too. Mm-hmm. I said, so don't, 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 please don't. Ep- There's no more David and Goliath. They're human that eat, breathe, sleep, and shit mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. The singular difference is they treat their life from business and personal in that second gear. Yeah. And if you could just decide to no longer think that that is only required for sports, and you could just live like that, you'll be on the same page. To me, that's my definition of be a Brooklyn founder. Right. Don't don't let it wear off. Yeah. Don't let yourself get comfortable. Mm. You know what I mean, I hit, listen. I hit Carl. I hit Carl when Drake was at the Apollo. <laughs> when I say John, I hit John. I was like, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable that Carl put where he's at, and yeah, and he, he took pictures in the Carl car. And John was like, Well, I think you tell him that directly. I said, I did. I didn't hear back from him yet. <laughs> you know, so I'm hitting you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this mess is gonna go. It's, to just, him. it's gonna get to him. Get the message. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so and so and then and then Carl eventually hit me back and was like, No, you're right. You know, one thing I liked about Carl in the from my conversation and even to now, this dude owns up to stuff. Like when when you write, he's like, "No, you're right, hundred percent my fault." Yeah, and it's quick. You know, there's some people like you got to fight to get like, "You're my bad son." (laughs) Like, oh, even yo, I was Uh, wrong. Carl's quick with it. Like, no, you're right. Oh man, I kind of messed up. Hundred percent my fault. I like that. I respect that. The thing is, is that like, you know. Like Keenan mentioned, hubris is going to be the fall of a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. And like, um, I operate from a space of humility. And for me, everything's a learning experience, right? So like, I'm going to get a text and it's going to be the um, the alcohol emoji. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to miss that next time, right? Because like, <laughs> I know, yeah. oh yeah, drinks, yeah, yeah, say yeah, less, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, it's just always a learning opportunity for always. me. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm always just soaking game. And then when I don't know something, I'm just like, I ain't know that. So yeah. thank you for putting on. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, saying? So I think it's really easy to do that. And it's also good to like put, put people in a position to also teach. Because we all got something to learn from each other. Like I'm sure that I got a lot of podcast game to learn from you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and, man, listen, man. It's, 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 it's the name of the game. It's all about learning, right? Yeah. The one thing about uh, Keenan, every episode we talk about something is in terms of leveling up, right? So the whole game is about getting to the next level. Constantly. Yeah. And and my thing is, if you surround yourself with the right people, you always find an opportunity to to get to that point where Agreed. you can level up. Agreed. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, you know, being a surround and I, and I think people misunderstand why it's important to be surrounded with people yes. that's doing at, at least good as you or a lot more better than you is because that eliminates that in, invisible buffer. Because we always think that there's a buffer between somebody because they got a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more success. But like Keenan's point is that once you realize, once you get in the room and you realize, okay, I'm not that far off. Maybe I need to keep my gears at number two and then Mm -hmm. I can catch up, right? But you won't be able to know that unless you're in the room with people that's doing 
good as you, if not better, to remove that invisible buffer. The whole, right. the whole, the whole keeping a circle around you thing. I, you know, I think honestly, John actually got me really to focus on that because he was a founder first, and he saw success and all the trials and tribulations before I did. So I remember like old, old school alley twenty sixteen. That circle was actually a big thing that he was telling me about, right? And I, it was it was a little bit hard because most of my circle was who housed me when I was early stage founder, like gave me a couch. So it was hard to kind of cut them off, and it mm -hmm. was like. But then I had to realize, like, nah, like, you gave me a couch. You you holding it over me? You think that means something? Yeah. You won't do it a second time. Yeah. And candidly, you know what? We actually really are on the same page. Yeah, but sometimes it's us though. We look at it that way. We look like, damn, I kind of slightly old this person because they housed me. Mm. So sometimes it's not even them. Sometimes it's us because we feel guilty like, damn, this person held me down. Gotta be there for them. Mm -hmm. And they probably not even holding over our heads. But no, hey, we, that's us. It's us, Mental. right? Mm -hmm. And then instead of saying, you know what, let me go here with these dudes. And then when it's an opportunity to repay them back, I'll get them, but that's, that's, let me level up. That's how yeah. I'm, yeah. no, no, no. Tell me, that's why I'm sitting here. Yeah. I'm sitting here because I literally chose to level up. JJ was in the cut, and I was like, oh, man, you did X, Y, and Z. No, I mean, you'd be on your heels. And then Jay was like, oh, I got a homie. I'm on his heels. I met Carl, and I was like, we sat down. We broke bread at Dumble House after Jay connected us. And it was like, oh, let's go. Yeah, like, it's, it's clear. It is what it is. So we're here because of him. Yeah. Nah, Mr. Off Camera. Because yeah. of you, brother. Yeah. Close, close, close yeah. this out, JJ. Yeah, I don't see they both been mentioned, but you just talked about it. And what, what you mentioned is survivor's guilt. So it's the idea of going through something that leaves an indelible impression like in your mind and the rest of your life, your um, tangible success does not remove the psychological pain of what you went through. And so like a lot of times material success isn't is not accurately decoupled from the mindset shift you have to have to engage where you actually are. So you can be up, but still move like you're not, and that puts everything at risk, because now you're in a different place, but you're doing the same things as if you're not in that place. Hmm. And so that creates actual structural weakness in your business, your relationship, your company, because that sense of, am I, am I safe or am I not, is helpful. It's really bad when it's just your kid knocking on the door and you think it's 5-0. Like, that's not good. Because mm -hmm. you might overreact when your child walks in, then that's a price you can never repay. Right. But, like, the, the, the motive isn't wrong because it's true. What you do and the resources you allocate to actually bridge that gap is on you. The other thing I'll talk about is status anxiety, which I think right now is the hardest thing. So, from a mindset perspective, if you got something and you had the feeling of not having the thing, now your new standard is the thing. Challenge is when it's a bear, you might have to actually temporarily go here, or something you can't control will put you here, and you don't remember yourself as a person that would actually have to go back there because you told yourself you were always going to be a person who never went down here again. So now you have to live your life and fight the idea that you're that kind of person and believe it's just a temporary circumstance. If you don't want to lose money, don't start a business. Mm. That's it. Like, just don't. If, if, if the fear of losing money is, is, is the issue, you're probably better off writing tickets. Because at least you know on the street in New York, there's going to be somebody legally parked. Yeah. You're guaranteed to get something right. 
in business, it's all guaranteed to go wrong while you did everything right. And I think that like switch is actually, we talk about it a lot, but it is a profound behavior. It's not like a choice. It's a thing you act on and into. And I think that in this market, in this dynamic, even through COVID, like survivor's guilt, survivor's remorse, and status anxiety have been the three things I've seen like warp people and be the most important thing to fight against when you're actually trying to accomplish something or you're trying to start something or you're trying to get over something. In any sort of um, space you exist in, you ha- you're gonna address that. It doesn't matter how much money you wanna make or have made or intend to, you will be faced with the guilt of surviving something, the remorse of not doing something different, and someone will always have more than you, period. Yeah. Especially if we're talking about this level up conversation, because that's the other part no one told me. It wasn't just getting around people, it's being yourself around those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a piece. actually yeah. think that's piece. about, because you forget who you are, because you're you like, are. I gotta be this now, huh? and no one said that. Mm-hmm. Sure, what got you there, what got you here won't get you there, but like you warping your actual personhood is not some kind of level up. And I think sometimes we do this thing where it's like, you can put all that stuff on and still be a bozo. Yeah. We all know that. Yeah, we yeah, all put all that stuff on and be a bozo. Yeah. And you can have none of that stuff and really be solid. Mm. And so I think that idea of like being able to move and walk between those bridges is something that comes with a healthy relationship to the reality that in an environment like ours, status is a commodity and product. We sell status. Hmm. A lot of people aren't building businesses. They're building lifestyles based on you paying into the idea of the business they told you they had. Hmm. So then you're actually just funding. You're at, you're, it's funny, you're actually the investor in somebody's lifestyle. Yeah. So you've been investing this whole time. You just forgot what the product was. Right. Hmm. And I think sometimes like once you can kind of see it for what it is, it might give you flexibility to realize that like the things you're wrestling with have names and once you name something to Keenan's point it's not actually an enemy in the same way you thought it's an opportunity and so if you can put a name to something it ceases to be the boogeyman and you can identify it and you can be like okay great that makes me anxious why which is better than I don't have it yet wait till I get it because mm. you're still gonna have to deal with things once you get it yeah yeah Man, that's, let's leave it at that, because he said some bars. Yeah. No. <laughs> I got all free. Oh, you got it. Thank you. <laughs> Yo. Thank you. I was like, yeah, yeah. Yo, let them know about um, pardon, pardon. Yeah, um, tell them about the podcast and where they can oh, reach yeah, you yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, for questions. sure. Um, so yeah, you could follow me mm-hmm. on Instagram at oh that one mm-hmm. that one's clip. Yeah. Uh yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at C Joe Black at the letter C J O E B L A C K. Uh, my website is dothedilly.com. That's me and John's podcast. Definitely check that out whenever you get the chance. Blacklist. You know oh, yeah. And I run a social club called The Blacklist. Uh, we sit down together, talk like this, uh, make money moves together. Yo, you know what I'm saying? And um, you can visit that site at raisingbenjamin.com. That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Thanks, brother. Keenan, as always. As always, been, uh, my you. guy. Love yeah. And John. All right, man. It's, it's been good, man. Appreciate everything and these wonderful guys, man. It's been a, a very uh, interesting topic, man. Yeah, like, sure. yeah, like we touched on a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good night. Peace. Yo.